What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesday. Hello and welcome to Done by Law on 3CR, 8.55am. And also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or streaming on 3cr.org.au. Hope you can all hear us out there. I can't hear myself. We're a bit rusty here in the uh, studio after being uh, in pandemic mode for a couple of years. So um, hope you can hear me. Indra's on the, Indra's on the um, panel. Your uh, hosts was, tonight are Indra and Sue. I was just going to say, would you like to go to a community service announcement very quickly to make sure that we are Yes, on let's double check yeah? that. Okay. <laughs> Bear with us one moment. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prison. Beyond the Bars started in 2002 and this year marks 21 years on air. So tune in at 11am each day during NAIDOC from Monday the 4th of July to Friday the 8th of July for the Beyond the Bars 2022 broadcast. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land that C- 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And don't forget that this week is also NADOC week. All sorts of incredible events are being held across Australia in this first week of July go along and help celebrate and recognise the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. NADOC Week is your chance to learn about First Nations cultures and histories and participate participate in celebrations of the oldest continuous living cultures on Earth. You can support and get to know your local Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander communities through activities and events being held near you. To find out what's on, check out the NADOC website nadoc.org.au and follow your nose to the events page. Okay, so now for tonight's show. 
uh, we've decided, in light of the um, circumstances in, in the world at the moment, that we would shine the spotlight on asylum seekers and a very special place, the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre, the ASRC, and explore some of the incredible work they do. And to help us out, our special guest tonight is Jimmy Muirhead. Jimmy is a lawyer at the ASRC. He's also going to be joining the Done by Law First Tuesday team. That's us. <laughs> and so, listeners, his voice will soon become very familiar. Welcome, Jimmy. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Jimmy, the, as I said before, the ASRC is a very special place. Um, tell us a bit about it. What kind of work gets done there? Well, that is a, a big question that I could go on all night about, but uh, in the interest of time, yeah, uh, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre um, does a whole heap of different services for um, people seeking asylum or refugees. Um, I work in the legal team, so I'm a solicitor there at the ASRC, um, but we are just one minute effort amongst um, a litany of different services, including um, housing, uh, food bank, which uh, ensures that our clients and our members can have access to their appropriate um, uh, food and other things, um, including um, clothing drives during winter, um, and we also have social work, um, a whole heap of other different services as well, um, health hub, vaccine hub. Um, so we've been very active during the pandemic. Um, but, yeah, um, a, a lot going on at the ASRC. Wow. So not just about law, but about kind of every different part of an asylum seeker that needs help in the um, very flawed system we have here. Absolutely. The the legal system for asylum seekers is very flawed, and we can get into that in a little bit. But um, certainly it's about making sure there's a holistic support for our clients and um, ensuring that all their needs are met, not just their legal needs, but making sure that they can um, spend their time in Australia um, in a way that they can have all of their basic human rights needs met. Brilliant. And how, how do you fit in? You said you're a lawyer. How long have you been there and what do you actually do? Is it just only casework or does yeah. it cross over to some of the other stuff you've been talking about? Um, well, the good thing, um, so yes, I'm one of the solicitors. I've only been there about nine months now, so mm -hmm. um, just coming on 10, um, I've really enjoyed my time there. Um, fantastic legal team, fantastic work getting done all the time and fantastic advocacy. Um, certainly uh, when it comes to uh, the other t work that the other teams do, um, we're all very much in touch with each other and trying to keep um, going what uh, the different um, programs and making sure that we work in a cohesive manner, not just individually, but together. Um, and certainly I've seen a lot of that get done. Um, and it's been great to be a part of that, not only just being able to give your clients urgent legal advice, but being able to, be being able to ensure that they get a hot meal afterwards or um, making sure they have somewhere to stay that night. It makes it feel like you're doing a little bit more than just uh, boring legal work. Wow. <laughs> A hot meal after after seeing a lawyer. I bet there are lots of listeners out there and envy that. <laughs> so what drew you to work at the ASRC? That is also probably a long question that we don't have all, all night for, but um, I'm originally from uh, Perth, Western Australia and um, uh, volunteered an organisation over there um, and really saw the kind of unmet need that exists in this community and that um, really no matter how much work gets done, um, there's always going to be someone else who's needing assistance to, to get that help. Um, always really been interested in love Australia for its um, multicultural aspects and um, the way or the parts of our society that do embrace uh, multiculturalism um, and really wanted to be a part of that in a tangible way and, and try and 
bring that um, idea of, of what I like about this nation and what I like about our people um, to the fore and wanted to be part of that effort. So, um, yeah, headed over to Melbourne where I knew there were organisations such as ASRC and um, the rest has been history, really. I've been uh, volunteering and working at different organisations that do this kind of work and I'm really happy at the ASRC and um, really being able to see that inclusivity and that um, warmth of culture that I um, do see in this country uh, come to the fore and that's been really nice. Awesome. Yeah, so you touched on a few of the services that the ASRC provides. Um, I guess turning more to the sort of rights of asylum seekers in Australia, um, as we all know, processing times for protection visa applicants are painfully long. Um, in the interim, what are some of the, the I guess, gaps that you see um, for the, in the services that aren't being provided um, to asylum seekers who are seeking protection? And also, you know, I guess when I say that, I mean, what are some of the changes the ASRC would like to see in terms of work rights, access to Medicare, access to Centrelink, things like that? Yeah, well, you're right on the terms of um, the protesting times being extraordinarily long. Um, it can be um, a years and years long process for a lot of our clients to make sure that they actually get the protection visa finding that um, is owed to them under the Migration Act. Um, and certainly, uh, depending on the visa cohort who we're dealing with, there are all sorts of different uh, needs that um, aren't met. Um, a lot of clients who have arrived by boat have really limited access to um, healthcare and um, work rights and things like that. And it's um, seen um, that that bleeds through in terms of the client's experience and ability to, to work towards their visa claim as well. So, um, you know, in terms of what ASRC is actually um, looking to uh, pin against the wall in terms of rights that we want to see for asylum seekers. Um, it's always a changing space. And like I said, there's so many different teams that I don't want to speak for the entire organisation. But certainly it's really just about making sure that basic human rights are met. Um, and I think uh, with a lot of um, our comments from the UN at the international level um, and other countries who have criticised us for the way that we behave, um, it's certainly not being done. And it's terrible to see that, um, you know, while there might be a visa process in place, that the proper support isn't there. Um, so basic, th basic human rights needs food, housing, access to work, access to self-sustain and educate their children. Those are all really things that I think pretty much anyone can agree on is essential, um, not only just for uh, human decency, but also to make sure that this legal process is something that is um, worth providing to people because at the end of the day, if your other basic human rights needs, not only your legal needs, but your basic human rights needs are not met, then it's, um, I guess, asked the bigger question of um, whether it, we're a humanitarian nation at all. Right. You just mentioned before um, healthcare. Um, just can you explain a little bit? I mean, we've just been through a big health thing in the last couple of years or so. Are there limits to um, asylum seekers and what they can access in terms of healthcare? Yeah, well, there there are. Look, there in terms of Medicare and things like that, that is not um, afforded to to everybody who's going through the protection visa process, and I think um, um, really only saved um, in certain scenarios, and um, that's always worrying to see. Um, there are other avenues of healthcare, but um, they don't always 
meet the client's needs and frequently, yeah. frequently don't. Um, I think uh, our nation, nations or our governments, previous governments' attitude towards this is best exemplified in the Medivac process. Mm. Um, this was for people who were detained offshore and you know, overseas, um, not getting the adequate um, health needs, that, uh, health services that they needed, leading to um, you know basically a, a health crisis on those islands and um, hundreds of people getting evacuated to Australia to, to get urgent medical care. And that was a health crisis of our own doing, really. Um, mm. There there was no one else involved besides private contractors and um, things like that. So it is uh, disappointing to see. Certainly things onshore are a little bit better, but um, I know many of our clients um, really are struggling to access um, medical need, including proper access, which includes having access to an interpreter during an appointment and things like that. If you don't able to speak the language uh, of your doctor, you might not be able to follow their advice too well. So um, really making sure that um, people's needs are met um, in, on a health basis um, is uh, something that we're constantly continuing to, to fight and advocate for. Gee, just a, a really basic human right, isn't it? Mm. Access yeah. to health. You had a question yeah. there, Indra. Yeah, well, I think um, obviously the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre does a lot of um, work with clients who are being processed offshore, obviously, for example, on Manus. Um, what do you think of the um, recent kind of changes in Britain that have occurred in terms of um, processing asylum seekers in Rwanda and there's been a push in other European countries as well to, to follow suit. Um, yeah, what are some of your concerns around that trend, I guess? Yeah, well, look, I, I'm an Australian migration lawyer, so when it comes to British uh, uh, migration policies, I might not be the most cluey on them, but offshore detention and offshore processing is something that... Um, you know, violates all of our international um, human rights obligations. And my understanding is that it violates EU uh, 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 rights as well, uh, or laws as well, which is probably why England's getting on the bandwagon now as opposed to a couple of years ago. But certainly we have been um, uh, a bit of a leader in uh, unfair policies towards asylum seekers. And um, I think offshore processing is one of the best examples of that. Um, the idea that people come to your country seeking asylum and instead you place them in um, offshore processing centres, which are um, detention centres, which are quite akin to, to prison um, or even worse in some respects, um, and then shirking off your obligations to um, countries who might not be as well resourced and certainly in our case are not as well resourced to deal with the, the needs of asylum seekers and refugees. Um, it's uh, one of my, it breaks my heart really that um, we've done this over the last um, decade or so and I'm really hoping that um, changes in the future um, might bring an end to that but I'm not holding my breath uh, too much, uh, always, always cautiously optimistic. Hoping that maybe the change of government by, might bring some changes at least. Some changes at least, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, listeners, so we might just um, go to a quick break for some community service announcements and we'll be back soon to continue our conversation with Jimmy. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job 
without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. And welcome back. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR, 8.55am and streamed at 3cr.org.au where your hosts Indra and Sue and our guest tonight is Jimmy from the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. Jimmy's just joined the Done By Law team and we're chatting with him about where he works and what he does there. So Jimmy, what, what have you found most surprising during your time at the, at the ASRC in the work that you do? Um, like I said, I'd been um, kind of aware of the injustices on the legal front for so long, um, that, and it's what drove me into this space, definitely. Um, I think it's the... Um, it's through the amount of services and the amount of support that we provide for our clients that I've really started to see um, the benefits of holistic support and uh, the need for that uh, in the community. Um, there, there really is um, no one-pronged approach to dealing with uh, clients as vulnerable as asylum seekers and refugees. They have been through an extraordinary amount um, to get into this country and to, to be able to go through this protection visa process and um, the the needs of those clients um, to to kind of meet their resilience halfway, I guess, um, and uh, make sure that the services are in place to um, allow them to fully uh, make the most of their opportunity of, of a new life. Um, that um, has been... Uh, seen in spoonfuls at the ASRC for me personally. Um, I've uh, been able to see clients' well-being just dramatically improve when they're able to either get a positive visa outcome or go through a fair and equitable visa process. Um, there's there's nothing, um, I, I guess, more um, disheartening for me than um, seeing people uh, who have held hope um, across many countries and across many years, um, hope that this country would give them asylum, um, to then have the lack of other supports um, in place and that has been what's broken people and um, um, disrupted their visa process for one of many reasons. So um, surprising um, in the sense that uh, there's so much more that can be done um, but also surprising at how much of an impact it does have um, on the individual and also the community at large. The, the work of the ASRC, you mean? That, yeah, the work impact. of the ASRC and the, 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 the various different services, making sure that they do have proper access to health and mm-hmm. um, uh, housing and things like that. Um, it sounds so simple, but the need for it is so great that yeah. I think it bears repeating a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. It's, I, I guess a lot of our listeners wouldn't realise that health, housing, things that we take for granted and with things we assume everybody has access to are just not things that are are, are given. Not not automatically, clients. no. And mm. um, I think it's it, it just needs to be seen as an essential part of um, that of what is a, what is intended to be a humanitarian of yeah of of life of, of anyone's <laughs> yeah. life but what is meant to be seen as a humanitarian process what is meant to be seen as us you know um stepping forth as a developed nation with resources to to take care of people who need it um and i think that's what our country has done in the past and hasn't done so well in the recent past mm-hmm. um what are some of the the things that you find really rewarding about your your role at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre? Um, 
Yeah, I guess I'm speaking personally here because I think it's it's a difficult space to work in um, when there's um, so much when you're geared against a system um, that is um, sorry when you're working against a system that's very much geared against the uh, asylum seeker. Um, it can be quite disheartening to um, get a lot of visa refusals and um, work on a um, critical needs basis where you are dealing with a lot of vulnerable clients and a lot of clients who are in a very difficult legal situation. Um, that can be disheartening and I know there's a lot of um, feelings in the sector that, um, or a lot of hope in the sector that things might change in the future without any guarantees as of yet. Um, but I think for me personally, and this might sound like a weird thing to say, is is being able to explain this really tough system um, and really unfair system to clients in a really um, understanding, trauma-informed, culturally sensitive way mm. um, and being able to explain what is a horrible system in a way that is tangible, understandable and can be, um, I guess, processed by the client in a way that isn't going to... Um, um, add to their trauma, I think. Add suppose. to their trauma, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, but also, you know, um, kind of... Uh, give them the reality check that they might not have um, otherwise been able to realise if it was just them versus the, the government. You know, I think, mm. uh, I know, you know, my feelings, this is a different example, but when I was on Centrelink, uh, my, my feelings of um, Centrelink were so, uh, my you know, my negative feelings about it were so exacerbated until I found out that, you know, there's a lot of people going through this process, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, there is a lot of things in place to kind of make it difficult to access those benefits. Now, mm. that's Centrelink. That is a completely different thing. That is a completely mm. different set of difficulties that I was having to go to at a much um, less intense level than what our clients have to go through. Um, so I can only imagine, really, um, how difficult it is to, to fight against this system or to fight within this system um, in a way that's actually going to... Um, and all for the sake of hoping for a better life um, yeah. rather than just for a few hundred bucks from Senno, um, for actually for, <laughs> for um, to make sure that your children are safe and to make sure that you're not going to be forced to return to a country where you've fled due to persecution. Yeah. Mm. That's a really interesting comparison you just made because many of our listeners will know it. Be familiar with the Centrelink experience. <laughs> yeah. And if all of you are listening out there, think about that, who have had that experience, then think about that, what multiplied tenfold for these people. And that's the kind of um, intensity of their their experience. Yeah. And I guess too um, that when when your clients are coming to get some help, they're also coming with uh, a real um, lack of. Um, uh, that's the wrong description. Sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to get to um, not not knowing about what the way systems work here in Australia and our culture here and this, these ideas that underpin, you know, the cultural ideas that underpin this horrible system, mm. you know, so to yeah. be confronted by that must be pretty challenging for them. Yeah, and I, and I think so. And I think it's, I think Australia presents itself at the international stages uh, and, you know, our international reputation is much kinder than what it actually is <laughs> when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees. And I think a lot of asylum seekers came here with that hope yeah. um, and with that understanding. And um, to have such a really difficult system that is, quite frankly, um, miles behind um, in terms of humanitarian um, approach to a lot of other developed countries, in fact, probably all other developed countries in the world, um, it's it's um, it's not surprising that we have uh, so much difficulty and so much uh, vulnerability from our clients, and, mm. um, even once they're in Australia. 
must be so stressful for them, you know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. They're extre- like I, I, they're, I have such great uh, admiration for a lot of our clients yeah. just to see how much uh, resilience and strength they have to go through. And it not, doesn't surprise me when I read their stories or hear their stories, mm. um, but it still, um, it still strikes me with admiration for them. Over to you, Indra. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, turning back, you know, we've all been kind of, I guess, surrounded by the, the recent change in, in government. Um, and I guess I won't go into too much sort of questioning about that. But I did just want to quickly ask, you know, um, I think that the situation in Afghanistan really exemplified some of the issues that exist around um, temporary protection visas being sort of the only protection visa you can get. I mean, I know it's complicated, but for a lot of people, um, I guess, would you be able to speak to some of the issues around the the sort of temporariness of a temporary protection <laughs> visa and what might be preferable? Yeah, sure. Um, well, look, um, yeah, I think the the temporary protection visa... Um, system was introduced uh, as a way or, you know, as the politician said, as a way to combat um, boat arrivals. And it was a way to implement the policy of um, if you arrive by boat in Australia, you'll never be permanently settled in Australia. So the system that was introduced was those who were owed protection um, and who have been found to uh, be facing significant or serious harm in their home country um, at this stage would only be granted a three or five year protection visa at which stage, uh, three or five years later, they would have to go through the whole um, process again, basically, um, say why they fear harm in their country, um, show that they um, are unable to return. Um, And one of the, I guess, horrifying examples of this was um, in Afghanistan last year. Um, A lot of clients um, who had arrived by boat and been placed on three or five-year temporary protection visas um, had been found uh, to, um, and when it came to their visa reassessment before the fall of Kabul, had been found that it was safe to return to Afghanistan. Oh um, so <laughs> that's been happening. You know, that, yeah. that's been that's that's a reality, and that's what te- temporary protection visas do, do because a lot of these people were sent back, um, and then uh, we all know what happened in August of last year. Um, Kabul yeah. was taken over by the Taliban. Now a lot of those clients had specific claims against the Taliban. So um, what happens to them is is really anybody's guess, and I don't think the Australian government's going to work too hard to find out. Um, But um, it's certainly um, just one of the small examples, um, you know, and I do say small because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people um, in this country who are going through this uh, temporary protection visa assessment process. Um, And it does really... uh, not only make it difficult for you uh, legally in terms of having to reassess your claims, but it makes it difficult to actually um, be a part of the country and, and kind of set up your life here. I don't know what mm. I would do personally if I had the potential to be deported in three years, even yeah. though I've gotten protection for now. So um, feels like sus- suspend, you're in suspension or something, you know? Yeah. You just can't plant your feet. Yeah, and, cer- yeah. and certainly that's been the, the view of a lot of our clients in that process, and um, mm. it's really... Um, and it, and it goes back to that kind of holistic talk point that I was talking about earlier is that a life isn't just a visa grant. It's a uh, it's it's making sure that you can be part of the community, that you can have your kids sign up to sport teams, that you can mm. work and contribute to society, just like a lot of these people did back home. They yeah. want to do that here as well. Just everyday just, everyday stuff. Exactly, and yeah. um, I think it's it's that temporary protection visa process. Um, takes that um, ability away from a lot of families and mm. it's um, 
really uh, really disappointing to see, and I, and I hope it changes as soon as possible, to be honest. Mm, gosh. Yeah. I, mm. <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> must definitely. be just, just horrible to be in that state of constant suspension. I can't think of another word mm, to describe stress, it, but yeah. just hanging there, mm, you know? It's mm. very stressful. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, on that note... Um, we need to go. We have to close the chat, and um, and uh, Jimmy's looking surprised because you know time flies. Time sure flies. Yeah. And so that's the program for for this evening. Thanks to you, Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. Yeah. Well, you'll be back, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy shared his time and his expertise tonight. But um, welcome to the Done by Law First Tuesday team. Thank you kindly. Hey. And so, uh, listeners, that was Jimmy Muirhead from the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. And our new co-host. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855am, streamed at 3cr.org.au and available on various podcast platforms. Done By Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done By Law.